The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Practicing the Way of Jesus, a study on the Sermon on the Mount. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. It is good to see you and good to be with you this morning. Uh, My name is Justin and I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And this morning we are going to be learning about the spiritual discipline of fasting. Yeah, figured. No, no, don't. Don't do that. I don't think we're going to be too excited about this. Uh, I'm going to be answering the big questions. What is fasting? Why Christians fast? How we are to fast? When are we to fast? Now, I'm joking a little bit. I don't think any of us are too excited because our culture is obsessed with the sin of gluttony. We work in order to consume. Very few of us are probably really that worried right now about just keeping a roof over our head and some clothes on our backs and some food in our stomach. We want a better home and nicer clothes and more food in our stomach, right? Most of us are actually overfed and overweight. We are over-entertained. We are over-connected. We are over-stimulated, over-gamed, over-worked. And as a result, our desires for the things of this world have become what St. Augustine called over-desires. As a result, our desires for the things of this world just rule our thoughts. All we think about all day long is how to get more. As we think, those thoughts begin to dominate our feelings. All we really want in this world is to be rich or to be powerful, to have more. And then ultimately, because our thoughts are ruled and our feelings are dominated, our lives are directed towards whatever it is that we desire. Usually getting more, consuming more. And if that is your current experience in life, if you are a Christian, the spiritual discipline of fasting might be your next step in discipleship. Now, here's the problem. The person addicted to any substance believes in their mind and in their heart that what they need most in life is more of that substance. They're convinced of it. That is, quote, their truth. All of their mind, all of their heart, all of their desires tells them this is real. What you need more of is whatever that substance is. When in fact, that substance is hurting their life, it's possibly killing their life. And the capital T truth is what they actually need is to abstain from that substance in order to flourish. The same is true for us this morning. Your flesh, not just your physical body, but the sinful nature, the sinful part of you, is not going to want to hear this sermon. My flesh does not want to preach this sermon. So, before I preach this sermon, and you hear this sermon, let us humble ourselves before God and ask Him 
to prepare our hearts to hear his word and ask him to speak his truth to us that we all need to hear this morning. The truth, as Jesus said, the truth that will set us free. Let me pray. Father, we desperately need you to lead and guide us. We, our desires are over desires in many different ways. We are trying to find what will make us happy. We feel like we need more and more and more of it. And yet happiness is always slipping through our fingers and we can't find satisfaction. And I think that's because um, we're trying to find it in the things of this world and not, and not you, the source of all happiness. And so would you help us this morning hear this word that you are speaking to us? Would you think through my mind and speak through my vocal cords? Would it be all of you and none of me? Would your people hear your voice this morning and they, would they respond rightly to it in faith and repentance? Would you do all this in our presence this morning for your glory and our good in Jesus' name, amen. All right, before I get into the subject of fasting this morning, let me first address two underlying issues that will prevent us from understanding um, Jesus's teaching in its context accurately, okay? Here, here, here it is. Christianity has two legs, all right? One leg we're gonna call orthodoxy. The other leg we're gonna call orthopraxy. I know those are big words we don't really talk about too much, but here it is. Orthodoxy means right belief. Orthopraxy means right practice. Okay, so Christianity is unique in the sense that for a person to live as a citizen of God's kingdom in this world, they must look, believe rightly or believe right things about God while also behave properly. They must live in a certain direction. They must practice the way of Jesus. Christianity is both about what you believe and about how you behave. Now, as I survey our current society, I see two great errors that are a result of failing to understand this two-legged nature of Christianity, of Jesus, how he teaches about orthodoxy and orthopraxy, about faith and works. Here's the first great error. It doesn't matter what you believe, just do good. This is basically the general teaching from our current culture. It's kind of more the left side of the political spectrum. It doesn't matter what you believe. You can worship Hindu. You can be a Hindu. You can be a Buddhist. You can be a secularist. All that matters is your do good. They reduce all of the Bible down to just be good. Just be nice to one another, right? Or the second error is this. It doesn't matter what you do. Just believe. Interestingly enough, you find this error most common in the church, all that matters is that you believe that Jesus died for your sins. It doesn't matter how you live your life, right? Now, both of these are contrary to the way of Jesus. I'm gonna go a little bit deeper into both of them as you see this kind of two-legged nature of, the, of Christianity and how if you knock one of those legs off, Christianity falls down, it becomes something totally different. Let's look at this, the first one. It doesn't matter what you believe, just do good. Now, in the best case scenario, we could call this assuming the gospel. We're telling a person what they should and shouldn't do with their life, and we just assume that this person already believes the gospel and can ascertain how God works first in the heart by giving them new desires. We assume all of that and just tell people, obey God. 
So we don't go after what they believe. We just go, hey, follow Jesus. In our day today, just fast. Doesn't matter what you believe about it, just fast. Now, when we do this, people will often do the good deeds that they should do, but do them out of obligation, out of a sense of duty with a cold and lifeless heart, right? They'll go to mission night, but they go mad. They go frustrated. And they go feeling, the only reason I'm going is I don't want somebody to call me out at missional community. I want to be a good person, so I'm going to go to mission night, right? Jesus has shown us in the Sermon on the Mount these past three weeks that, that he's after more than just people doing good deeds. He's after the heart. He's after the motivation for why they do good deeds. He's after something deeper than just good deeds. We've also seen in the past few weeks that some people do those good deeds in order to be seen by others. These folks don't want to be generous. They don't have a heart that wants to give their resources away as a steward that God's given them everything and they're gonna give it away. No, no, they don't wanna give to be generous. They wanna give so that people think they're generous. They don't wanna pray just to speak with their father. They wanna be seen by others as prayer warriors. They want people to go, man, that dude can pray. Man, that girl can pray. They don't desire true godly humility. They wanna be perceived as humble. Did I come off as humble there? Okay, cool, good. Right? This is not the type of obedience or practice that Jesus prescribes for us. That's not Christian obedience. That's, Jesus says, being hypocritical. Now, hypocritical isn't saying one thing and doing another. That, that is part of the meaning in today's day and age. But the original meaning of hypocrite was to live life on a stage. A, a play actor who would take, put a mask on and then put a different mask on, you know, in the Greek theater, that was a hypocrite. Right? He was performing for others. That's the primary biblical definition of a hypocrite. Somebody who's doing religious good deeds, not, because, not for the sake of God, but for the sake of other people, or maybe even for the sake of themselves. Right? Now, there is a great temptation towards pragmatism here. Our society, by and large, doesn't care what we believe. They only care about us doing good. So we can be tempted to an action-oriented faith that leaves behind the very heart of Christianity. So as a pastor that I want to see God move in our city and I want to see missional communities all over the city where people can meet Jesus. I want to see the poor served. I want to see the marginalized welcome in. I want to see all of that. And so even as a pastor, I can be tempted towards pragmatism. What's going to get our people out on mission fast? What's going to get them serving? What's going to get them going? And guess what? Honestly, the quickest thing to get you out is guilt and shame. <laughs> Legalism. Why aren't you doing it? You're not a good Christian. Shame on you. Suck it up. Let's go. Right? So Christianity, can, we can all get tempted towards that one-legged stool of Christianity. Just do good works. But Christianity is first and foremost about what you believe. It's about faith. Only by faith are we made alive in Christ. Only by faith, trusting in Jesus, are we given a new heart with new desires that long for God. So Christians 
believe Jesus of Nazareth was the sinless son of God who was sent by the father to rescue sinful humanity from the consequences of our sin. Jesus did all of that by living a perfect life, then by dying a substitutionary death in our place for our sins on the cross, and then rising from the dead again in our place, conquering death, hell, and the grave. This same Jesus sits at the right hand of God now in the control room of the universe and will one day soon come back to make all things new. Now, that is Christianity in a nutshell. That is what we believe in a nutshell. All Christians must believe this in order to be in God's kingdom, to be made new. But here's what I need you to see. There's an important principle there. It is not, Christianity is just about what I believe. No, no, no. As I believe rightly, as I believe the gospel rightly, it changes the way that I live my life. As I believe, I obey. When I disobey, I'm not believing. As I trust in Jesus, I follow Jesus. My faith informs and directs my practice. James said, faith without works is dead. So this leads me to the second error. It doesn't matter, it doesn't just matter what you do. It also matters what you believe. Doesn't matter what you do. And then the second error is, it doesn't matter what you do, just believe. Now listen, believe only Christians. Now here's why this is, this is we're so tempted to want either or here. Both of these has, have a semblance of truth. Both of them have an aspect of truth. Again, it's two legs of Christianity. The problem is people just want to focus on one of those legs. Well, if you're only focusing on, a, try sitting on a one-legged stool, okay? It's not going to work very, often, very well, right? It's going it's to go poorly for you. So we got to keep these things together. And when you say it doesn't matter what you do, just believe, here's what happens. Believe only Christians live fruitless and undisciplined lives. Believe only Christians Never make disciples. Believe only Christians look identical to their neighbors. Believe only Christians aren't unique and set apart and holy and salt and light in this world. See, believe only Christians claim to have received grace from God. They claim to be saved and yet they do not practice the way of Jesus. That's not the way of Jesus. Believe only Christians try to separate their life from the, their eternal life. They want to believe in Jesus so they get eternal life, but they don't want to trust in Jesus in such a way that that trust informs their everyday normal life. That's not Christianity. Jesus says of believe only Christians, Lord, Lord, they'll say it unto me, but at the last day he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. There is no such thing as a believe only Christian. They're believing a false gospel. We believe and receive new life from God and then we obey Jesus and walk out and practice the way of Jesus. That's what Christianity looks like. Orthodoxy, orthopraxy. 
Jesus says, believe, then obey. Follow my way of living. Now, these two principles, you really need to keep in the forefront of your mind anytime you're reading any part of the Bible, okay? You need to ask yourself these two questions. One, what is Jesus teaching me to believe? Or what is Jesus trying to get me to believe from this text that I'm reading right now? And secondly, after that, what does he want me to do? How does he want me to live? How does he want me to behave? What does he want me to believe? How does he want me to behave? Okay? Now let me ask you this real quick. Are you more prone to reduce the way of Jesus down to just believe or just obey? If that's a spectrum, if those are two poles on a spectrum, more than likely you lean one way or the other. You might lean towards just believe or you might lean towards just obey. The gospel is the good news that we must receive, we must believe, but it's also the power of God unto salvation. When we believe the gospel, it changes us into people who want to obey God, who want to follow the way of Jesus and be his disciples. Now, when we look at chapter five, we see Jesus teaching us, when you follow my way, when you believe me and you follow my way, I change your morals. I change your moral compass. You say, don't commit murder. That, good for you. I say, don't even hate your brother. He's changing our morals, right? You say, don't commit adultery. Okay, that's good. I say, don't even lust in your heart. The first Chapter five, we see Jesus redirecting our morals. He's changing our moral compass. He's actually redirecting it and taking our moral compass up to a true righteousness, right? But now in Matthew six, Jesus is also showing us that as he changes our moral compass, he's also changing our religious deeds. The religious things we do, he's changing how and why we do those religious things. And so we saw this three times in Matthew six. When you give, when you pray, when you fast. Jesus is talking about three religious practices. Giving to the poor, praying, and fasting. Now it's interesting that all three times Jesus says, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. Jesus did not, he was not teaching a believe-only gospel. He was not saying, well, you know, you'll believe, believe in me and trust in me, but then maybe you won't pray. Then maybe you won't give. Then maybe you won't fast. No, no, no. Jesus was teaching every Christian as they receive this new life from God, they're gonna pray, they're going to give financially, and they're going to fast. All Christians do this. He did not teach a believe-only gospel. Nope, we believe, then we practice, then we obey. But Jesus also teaches us in all three of these instances that it isn't only the behavior. What you believe about what you're doing matters immensely. Your heart motivations behind your behaviors, listen, matters as much as the action itself. Jesus did not teach that obedience was all that matters. He didn't say, just give. I don't care why you give, just give. Yep, you're not gonna like it. Suck it up, write that check, even when you hate it. I don't care, all that matters is you give. All that matters is you pray. I don't care what, what your heart is behind it, just pray, just fast. So neither, he didn't teach just believe and don't practice. He didn't teach 
just do and don't believe either. Jesus teaches us here, disciples believe and then obey. In that order, believe and then obey. They don't brag about their giving so others think they're spiritual or generous. They don't use prayer as a way to convince others of their spiritual depth. And they don't use fasting as a way to virtue signal their spiritual superiority. Christians believe and then obey. That's the logic of the gospel. Now, let me show you how this gospel logic has been working throughout this whole chapter. In chapter six, verses one through four, where Jesus is talking about giving, he's saying this, here, here, this is real simple. The Christian believes that everything they own, all of their money, all of their resources, all of their gifts, all of their talent. Deuteronomy tells us he gives us the power to get wealth. Your intellect is not a result of your own works. Mostly it's a, it's a result of God's work in you. He determined your IQ. He determined your giving or your, your wealth building potential. He has given you the physical body that you had and put you in the culture and given you the opportunities you've got. So therefore, if everything is his and all of that, he's given me all these things, I am actually a steward and not an owner. And therefore Christians give 10%, at least 10% of everything he's given us, we give back to him in worship. Part of the ways we give is by giving to the poor. Then the second section, chapter six, verses five through 15, it's all about prayer. And Jesus says, the Christian believes that Jesus is our great high priest and Jesus has given us access to God the Father. So we get to come into God's presence and make requests to him and speak with him because Jesus has forgiven us of our sins and given us his righteousness and washed us in his blood. Therefore, because of all the work of Jesus, I pray to the Father through the Son and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Christians pray because of the work of Jesus. Now, lastly, verses 19 through 21, the Christian believes, the words of Jesus here, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God the Father. What does that mean? That means through Jesus... We've been given everything we need for life and godliness. Therefore, I fast. Huh. Let's get into fasting a little bit. What is fasting? Fasting is abstaining from something good for a set amount of time. Now, every word in that definition is important. Fasting is abstaining from something good for a set amount of time. You don't fast all your life. God's given us good gifts to enjoy. He's given us food. He's given us drinks. He's given us all, you know, so many things in our life. We're meant to eat them, taste them, receive them with joy and worship God as we do it. But we're also called to abstain from some good things for a set amount of time. Now, again, it's good things. You don't fast from pornography, Okay. You abstain from pornography because it's a sin against God and damaging to your own self and your own soul and society as a whole. So you fast from something good, okay? Now, why should we fast? What's the point of fasting? Well, the Bible gives us three 
main reasons Christians fast. Number one, Christians fast in repentance. When people were deeply distressed over their sin and guilt, they would weep and fast. For example, Nehemiah assembled all the people with fasting and in sackcloth and they stood and confessed their sins. The people of Nineveh repented at Jonah's preaching, proclaimed to fast and put on sackcloth. Daniel sought God by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth and ashes. And he prayed to the Lord his God and made confession for the sins of his people. Saul, when he was converted, for three days he neither ate nor drank. Saul fasted when he was converted in faith and repentance. So Christian, maybe you are struggling with a sin in your life and you feel convicted by God, one of the things that you might do that the Spirit would lead you to do is fast in repentance. Fast from something in repentance, okay? If it's drinking too much, maybe you would fast from that. If it's eating too much, maybe from that. If it's something sexual, from that, whatever it is, you'd be fasting from that, okay? Secondly, Christians fast in special times of prayer. The words prayer and fasting are often joined together in the scriptures anytime someone is experiencing a specially difficult circumstance or before a great endeavor. So Jesus fasted before his public ministry began, fasted 40 days. One time when the disciples were out doing ministry and they couldn't um, cast out a demon from someone, they were praying and they couldn't cast out a demon, they went to Jesus and Jesus said, this type can only come out through prayer and fasting, right? The early church followed Jesus' example. The church of Antioch fasted before Paul and Barnabas were sent out on their first missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas themselves fasted before appointing elders at every new church they planted. John Stott, theologian John Stott says this, the evidence is plain that special enterprises need special prayer and that special prayer may well involve fasting. Okay, so there's certain circumstances that are just intense. And when the intensity rises, our, the intensity of our prayer should rise. And one of the things that helps the intensity of our prayer rise is through fasting. Now, I think our country is in a situation like that. What we saw this past week is an example of that. I think it's high time for Christians to take this threat seriously, threats from the left and threats from the right. And we need to do what God's called us to do. And that is prayer and fasting in special times and ask God to save us and renew us. Now, thirdly, Christians fast to develop the spiritual fruit of self-control. I almost never hear Christians talking about this. Christians fast to develop the spiritual fruit of self-control. Listen, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have self-control. But that's like saying your child has an arm and you have an arm, right? Those arms can do different things. When we receive self-control from the Holy Spirit, sometimes that self-control comes in a seedling, comes in a seed form. And what needs to happen is that self-control needs to be developed one way through fasting to grow up and be able to control your physical body. See, again, John Stott says this, hunger is one of our basic human appetites and greed, one of our basic human sins. 
So self-control is meaningless unless it controls and includes the control of our bodies. And it is impossible without self-discipline. So listen, you're not going to become, have self-control and, and become disciplined just through prayer. God doesn't drop it out of the sky, right? It's not a package that you get delivered to your doorway. Self-control is developed through the practice of, one way, through the practice of, fa of fasting. So, three reasons we should fast. Three reasons Christians fast. One, in times of repentance. Two, in times of special need. And three, when we are lacking self-control and we need to grow in discipline. All right, now, next question. What should we fast? Hmm, let me ask you, where are you most prone to indulgence? Where are you most prone to over-desire, over-consumption? Is it food? then you should fast food. Is it screens? You should fast screens. Is it social media? You should fast social media. Is it news? You should fast the news. Is it sugar? Is it alcohol? Is it Target? My wife's front row, so I'm just, you know, throwing that one out in there. It might be, might be, I don't know. Is it online shopping? Right? Online shopping, just can't wait to get them packages at your front door. Anytime you're bored, you're on Amazon, you're open up the package. What is it, Dad? I'm not sure, I forgot. I can't wait to open it though. Is it excess sleep? Is it coffee? Is it video games? Is it Netflix? Where are you most prone to indulgence? That is the area that the Lord is calling you to fast in. He's not, guess what? Oh yeah, let's start a fast, brother. I'm gonna fast broccoli. I got it, I do it, let's do it. Let's roll with this. No. Actually, maybe Dr. Alex, that is what you're called to fast. I don't know, might be. Now, how should a Christian fast? Okay, so we've answered what is fasting? When should we fast? Why should we fast? Now Jesus, from our text, answers us very specifically, how should we fast? And he gives us two really big principles. Okay, let's look at our text. Verses 19 through 21. Do not lay up for your... Oh, I'm in the right one? Yes. Nope. I'm sorry, verse 16. That's next week's sermon. Verse 16. And when you fast... And when you fast, see that? He's assuming you're doing it. If you're a Christian, you're doing it. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Okay, principle number one about how to fast. One, do not fast in a way that signals your virtue. 
Don't announce your fast on Facebook. Sure, you can tell some people in your missional community in your fight club, maybe you want to do it together and you want some accountability, but beware of fasting for the sake of being seen as a religious person or a faster or somebody who's really spiritual. Now, secondly, Jesus says, be careful how your face looks while you're fasting. I love this. I love Jesus concerned about people's, the looks on people's faces. He says, don't mope around while you're fasting, telling people how hungry you are. Listen, I had a pastor boss one time that he would do crazy things like fast sugar and coffee. And he'd go cold turkey all at the same time for like a week at a time. And by the third day, I found myself taking the place of Satan and just tempting him. Please take a cup of coffee. Please, nobody wants to be around you. You're miserable to be around. You're mean, you're irritable. I look at you and I can tell you hate your life. I don't want to be around you. I'm like, I'm the serpent in the garden. Starbucks. Jesus tells us here, if we fast with our focus on what others are thinking about us or even on how we are thinking about ourselves, we just want to be more Christian. We want to be more strong. We want to be more disciplined. And so we're doing it for ourselves. We're, we're, we're thinking about the reward we're going to get. Guess what? Jesus says, that's the only reward you will get. You get the reward of looking like a religious person. You know what that means? Congratulations, you're a hypocrite. What does the hypocrite do on stage? He performs for what? Applause. Wow, he was so good, such a great actor. When we give, pray, and fast for the the view or the approval of other people, the only reward we get from that is, wow, you're so religious. Jesus tells us here, that's the only reward we get. We get the reward of looking righteous. That's a lame reward. Second principle. First one, do not, practice, do not fast in a way that signals your virtue. Second one, let's keep reading. Truly, I say to you, they have their, they receive their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. <laughs> he, he's concerned about how we look. He's like, listen, I know sweatpants are the most comfortable thing on the face of the planet, but keep them on at home. When you're fasting, get dressed up. Put some pomade in your hair. Put some makeup on. Go out. Don't let, don't virtue signal. Don't let anybody know you're fasting by the way that you look on the outside. All right? Jesus here, concerned with how our face looks. Keep going. That your fasting may not be seen by others. Look, but by your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Here's the second principle. When we fast, we fast with our eyes or our spiritual eyes on the Father who lives in secret, the God who we can't see. That's who we're thinking about when we give, 
when we pray, when we fast. We're not thinking about ourselves. We're not thinking about other people. We're thinking about God. This is a key principle for Christian fasting. Listen, here it is. When you fast from food, feast on God. Read more. Read the Bible more. Feast. Every time your belly growls, read a psalm. When we fast from something, we're meant to feast on God. We read more. We pray more. We meditate on God more. We fast and we feast spiritually. Now why? Fasting itself can awaken our dormant desires for God, right? Listen, if you walk around snacking all the time, you're not hungry at dinner time, right? I have to convince my kids of this all the time, right? 4.35, I need a snack. Nope, you're not gonna snack because you're gonna eat your dinner. Listen, when we walk around this life feasting on the world, consuming entertainment nonstop, consuming the things of this world, we often find our desires for God very dormant, very weak. I really want that new video game way more than I want God. I really want that next thing way more than I want God. Fasting has a way of awakening those dormant desires for God. Jesus says here, fasting with the right heart and the right beliefs has its own reward. A reward from the Father who sees in secret. Can I tell you just the most obvious thing? If you don't fast, you will never experience this reward. God has a gift for you that may go forever unwrapped and unreceived if you don't practice the way of Jesus and fast. In fact, this is the third time in this chapter that God has promised rewards. He's promised rewards for those who give. He's promised rewards for those who pray. And he's promised rewards to those who fast. Now you, you're like, reward? What kind of reward? Well, it is not a rubbing the genie's lamp. This is the one thing that's gonna get God to answer all your prayers. Right? I've asked her out three times. She said no every time. I'm gonna fast about it this time. <laughs> you might lose some weight and look better in your online profile. That might help. I don't know. But that's not the trick to get her to go out with you. Okay? Fasting has very specific rewards and so does praying and so does giving. And I'm gonna list at least four of them. One, here's the kind of reward that God gives. Fasting can produce a deeper awareness and knowledge of God. Fasting can produce a sense of God's weightiness, a sense of his reality, of a sense, a sense of his presence. When we're not feasting on the things of the world, we're fasting from some of those things. Secondly, fasting creates a greater awareness of our own fragility, need, weakness, and dependence upon God. Listen, when you are, listen, right now, and you're well-fed and you're feeling good and you make a commitment to fast, 
man, you feel so good about yourself. You feel, me and Jesus, we are on point. I'm gonna fast all week long. I'm praying for revival and renewal. And 18 hours later, you're reconsidering your whole life. Oh, you got pains you ain't felt in so long. All of a sudden, you know what? I don't know about this. I'm saved by faith, not by works. Jesus did everything for me. He gives me access to the Father. What is this religious stuff I've been trying to do? You know what? I'm going to eat. I'm ready for dinner. Wife says, I thought you were fasting. You say, get behind me, Satan. It's about faith, not works. <laughs> You're telling me, honey, I think... I got what the Lord was trying to get to me in that first 18 hours, okay? I'm not a masochist. I'm not crazy. No, fasting shows you just how dependent you are, even if it is caffeine. Why am I so mean when I don't get my cup of coffee? I'm reminded again, John Piper asked at the end of his ministry, what makes you doubt What's the, the biggest thing in your life that makes you doubt the gospel? He says, the painful slowness of my own sanctification. <laughs> Fasting awakens you to that reality real quick. Your normal coping mechanisms of going to your games or going to your TV shows or going to your social media, those are taken away and now you're just left with your own anxiety. Third, fasting produces either answered prayer or the resources needed to persevere through those circumstances, okay? So we're, if we're experiencing a really difficult circumstance or really difficult temptation and we decide to fast and pray to God, we go to God and God will either meet our need and answer that prayer for us and get us out of that circumstance that we're trying to get out of, or he will get into us the resources that we need to persevere and remain faithful right now in this circumstance. So fasting is its own reward in that way as well. Lastly, fourth, so we get a deeper awareness and knowledge of God. We get a deeper awareness of our own weakness. We get answered prayer or the resources we need to persevere circumstances. Or lastly, here it is. We become what we desire. What? We become, through fasting, we can become more God-centered and less self-centered. More God-aware and less self-aware in the negative sense. As we fast and as we pray and as we give, we become more generous people. We become more prayerful people. We become less dependent upon the things of this world for our own happiness. And as a result, we become more like Jesus. We become more spiritually mature. Now listen, can I just ask you a really obvious question here? If Jesus needed to fast, do you think you might in order to overcome the temptation of Satan, in order to accomplish the ministry that God gave him, he took a 40-day fast. And he also did like many fasts all the time. He would fast from people. He'd go away into silence and solitude to just be with his father. He did those many, many ones too. And that was before you could walk around with a device in your pocket that 
and rang all day long. He needed to do that for his mental health, for his spiritual life and spiritual walk with God. If Jesus needed it, do you think we might as well? The answer is yes. <laughs> now, I am praying and asking God for 2021 to be a year of gospel renewal. Gospel renewal in our hearts personally, in our marriages, in our families, in our missional communities, and in this church as a whole. I'm calling our church back to the gospel. I'm calling our church to come rediscover the gospel, come believe the gospel afresh, believe that our greatest needs have already been met in Christ, and then out of that belief, give, pray, and fast for spiritual renewal. Will you join me? Now, February 17th is Ash Wednesday. And that begins the traditional 40-day fast leading up to Good Friday and Easter, where we traditionally, well, the church traditionally fasts. Some of you have done that before. Many of you have not. I want us to be thinking and, and praying about what the Lord would have us fast together during Lent, okay? During Ash, starting Ash Wednesday. But I also want us to evaluate our heart and life now. And ask the Lord if there's something he's calling us to fast this week. Listen, for far too long, the church has looked too much like the world. They've been unrecognizable from the world. And a worldly church doesn't win the world. A worldly church doesn't change the world. Christians change the world. Christians who've believed the gospel and live differently than the world. That's what salt does. That's what light does in the darkness. And one of the Christian practices, giving finances, praying to our Father, and fasting. And in this world that is based on overconsumption, based on, nobody goes to Instagram and just looks at one picture. One of the most defining realities of the Christian that draws a line in the sand between Christians and non-Christians should be how we practice the way of Jesus. And one of those practices is fasting, abstaining, reminding ourselves we don't live by bread alone. I don't need that right now. What I need is another word from God. I'm praying that, that this year would be that for our church. Now, what I want us to do is before we come to the Lord's table, I want to take a moment for each and every Christian in here to ask the Spirit to search your heart and show you an area of your life where you are overindulging, that you are feasting on the things of the world. And maybe now it's time to declare a fast and ask God for spiritual renewal. I want to take a moment and let the Spirit speak to you.
Father, I thank you for all the good gifts that you've given us. I thank you that you haven't called us to just a life of fasting, but you call us to feast and then in times to fast. When I look at the, at the state of our culture and the state of the church at large, I feel like it is one of those special circumstances that you're calling us to redirect our focus and you're calling us back to faith, repentance, and fasting. And so I pray that you would open our eyes and our heart and our minds to you. You would show us the area of our life that you are calling us to set aside for a while and how long you want us to do that. And it wouldn't just be, you know, white-knuckled obedience, oh, I'm going to fast because everybody else is fasting, but it would be something that birthed out of our love for you, out of a heart that's been changed by the gospel. And we would fast because we want more of you. Would you supernaturally move in our church? Would you change our minds and change our hearts and change our wills to obey you? Help us believe rightly and obey rightly. Father, we repent for the ways that we have feasted and never fasted. How we have reveled in the freedom of being Christians and the grace of the gospel, and yet our flesh lies undisciplined and we lack self-control. We repent for our lack of self-control. We come to you this morning with open hands that have been washed by the blood of Jesus. And Jesus, you said on the night that you were betrayed, you took the bread and you broke it and you said, this is my body that's been broken for you. And you took the cup and you said, this is the cup of the new covenant that your blood was poured out to cover our sins. And you told us to eat it and to drink it. That we are one of your children, that we are in your kingdom, that we are one of your sheep when we eat and when we drink. And so we do that this morning we eat and we drink and we await your coming kingdom. We do all of this for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.